0: Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as an undercover Uber driver. My alias is Sarah Kavisher. But in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today, we're going to play an interview I conducted at an event hosted by the Phenomenal Woman Action Campaign in San Francisco. I talked to former Obama Administration Attorney General Eric Holder and Uber General Counsel Tony West about everything that has happened at Uber in 2017. Let's take a listen. Thank you so much. I like your whole thing about allies and power, but I got to say, you really just should be in power. Uh, LAUGHTER I agree with that. I'm the CEO of my company. So. I boss around men all day long, and it's totally enjoyable, <laughs> <laughs> including my two poor sons who have to put up with it. Um, anyway, I do. I am a, well known as a grumpy old lady who makes life hard for mostly white young men of Silicon Valley. <laughs>
1: All right, well that's good.
0: Um, and I, I, But now I'm moving on here. So I'm oh. <laughs>
1: lovely, lovely. And I'm
0: expanding. Um, and so, um, in any case, um, we're going to start by talking about this idea of allies. But I do, it's, it's really hard for me not to start with the fact that you're both involved with Uber, which is probably one of the most toxic cultures I've ever seen. <laughs> in my... <laughs> You know he and was involved I was with Uber there. before I was involved with That's Uber. That's true. Just now neither. Be, yeah, I'm going to preface. Yeah,
2: okay. that. Whoa, whoa, whoa!
1: <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm the fixer. Remember.
0: Right. I'm going to preface that. Uh, that is not your fault. Uh, that is not your fault. Um, but now it's your responsibility. Um, so. Uh, That's right. That's right.
2: That's right.
0: So that lightly. I don't say that lightly because I literally have been covering the internet since Al Gore invented it. And by the way, he did. Uh, He was was there at the beginning. I've been covering tech for 25 years in Washington when the internet was first made commercial. Um, And so I want to first start talking about Uber because I think the reason I want to talk about it is because it does represent the quintessence of all that is horrible about the male male white culture of Silicon Valley. And and so, so... So let's start with, let's start with um, Tony, why the hell did you take this job? (laughs) I mean, what do you hope to accomplish? Because I'm going to, I'm going to start off by saying you put out a, um, you put out a, um, I have so many questions. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Glutton for punishment seems to start begin with it, but you started out with a really great memo that Johanna Buyan, who's in the audience, who uh, covers tra- Uber and other transportation issues for um, for Recode, uh, wrote. We got the memo, and we published it. And it was a really tough memo on what the legal situation at Uber should be right now, and I think it was long in coming um, and about some standards. So can you just talk about it a little bit because I want to talk about because this goes to the heart of dealing with sexism, sexual harassment, and all kinds Fair of point. other issues yep. there.
2: Kara, it's nice to be here.
1: <laughs>
2: I don't know, Tony. I think we'll see. We'll see.
0: <laughs> oh, I got some questions for you. Oh, uh,
2: thanks. <laughs> no, look. I think um, a lot of questions, good questions. Um, uh, the reason I wrote the memos because I had it needed to be written. Right. Um, and for those of you who may not be familiar with it. Um, my first day, my first official day on the job, uh, we announced a data breach that had uh, occurred a year before and had not been uh, had not been reported to affected parties. And so, my first official day, I spent on the phone uh, talking to a number of state regulators, state AGs, FTC commissioners, saying, "Hi, my name is Tony West. I'm new. <laughs> By the way." Um, and, and in the, over that weekend, um, I began to really kind of get into, because this was the day before Thanksgiving, actually, and then over the weekend, um, I began to try to get uh, an awareness of some of the legal issues. And um, early that next week, I learned about uh, some practices that uh, a, a component of our security uh, our security uh, department had been engaged in, which involved uh, human surveillance for competitive intelligence. Yeah. And, um, you know, look, I, uh, I've i been in public sector, I've been in the private sector. Um, you, you don't have to be uh, uh, a well-credentialed lawyer to look at that and say, what, what the hell is this? Yeah. And uh, so when I learned about it, um, I talked with Dara, who said, "What the hell is this?" And uh, and I wrote I, I wrote uh, a note to the security team, who was at that time had just that day had now been reporting to me um, because the person who had led that team had been terminated as a result of not uh, not disclosing the breach. Uh, and I, um, I I I said something very simple, which is that. Um, uh, first, I, I am actually very proud to be at Uber, um, notwithstanding all of the things that you've said, which I think there's ample justification for a lot of what you said, but I am very proud to be at Uber. Um, there are incredibly talented people, incredibly dynamic uh, environment doing what I really do believe is going to change the future of work and the way that we think about how people and things move. Absolutely groundbreaking. But, but, um, and so I said that in my memo. But what I also said was I've also learned some things. I've learned that, and it's reaffirmed to me that I've made the right decision. But what I've also learned are some things that disturb me. Not disclosing the breach is one. This human surveillance for competitive intelligence is another. And I said, look, we don't need to do that. That's not who we are, we're better than that. We have better technology, we have better people, we have, we have a, a better uh, product. And we don't need to follow people around to gain competitive intelligence. And everything we have to do as a company has to rest on three things. It has to, it has to rest on transparency, integrity in everything that we do, and accountability.
0: All right, I want to talk about, the reason I was talking about because in this case, spying on Lyft and things like that.
2: No, was, no, 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 I'm, I'm being really
0: specific. Actually, no, I following, yes, I know following you, executives. Right, I know what you are th- yeah, I'm no, aware I mean, it's, to cafes. Yeah. But what I'm talking about is because it led to uh, the legal department, this is what I want to get into, is what, these structural systems that are in place at these companies that create the situations that not just not just spying on people, not just hacking, but really systematic inability of the legal departments to really protect people at these companies, especially women. And that's what seems to have happened with Uber. And it's not just uh, women who work at Uber, it's women who ride Ubers, who all kinds of things that they've been up to that that have been really disturbing. And so I want to sort of talk to both of you about And Eric, you did the Holder Report, which chronicled all kinds of problems there, which were myriad, which I wish you would release, um, because I think people should see exactly the extent of the toxicity so we can understand it. Um, but let's talk about what, where you, we'll get to the idea of male allies. I think human allies is the way I look at it, um, but, but what can legal departments do to do this? Because I think that a lot of the problems at Uber had to do with the abrogation of responsibility by the lawyers um, there who did this, who were in the place to say, no, we broke a story about um, an executive at Uber who was carrying around the medical file of a rape victim in India in order to try to, uh, proved that she wasn't raped, which was appalling that he was holding a criminal, a, a criminal file in his thing. And the lawyer Uber did not get it away from him when they were aware of it. And lots of things like this. So can you talk about sort of the responsibilities of the legal department to protect especially women? Because every time it seemed like there was some issue around women and the rights that were abrogated by the previous management there.
1: Okay, well, then I, I have to understand, I don't have the... Because in
0: general, the legal department, yeah, throughout the, let's tech. talk
1: generally, because I don't have the ability to, to release the report, and I think as an attorney for the company, there's only so much I can say about what it is that we did. Right, um, you,
0: Kara at recode.net is fine, or... or, or, or signal. <laughs> signal, signal. But... Uh, WhatsApp is encrypted.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that won't get me in any trouble. Um... Your name
0: could be (laughs) Schmerich.
1: And who'd know, right?
0: No, I don't know who you are.
1: Um, I think legal departments have to be um, empowered.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, They can't be ignored. Um, They also have to understand that there's a responsibility, a particular responsibility, I think, that lawyers have Mm -hmm. um, in the context of Uh, an organization, whether that's in government or it's in the private sector. Um, You know, it's in the same way that the Justice Department occupies a special place within the executive branch of the United States government. Um, We are the watchdogs. Right. When it works properly. Yeah. When it works properly. I'm referring
0: to Trump, just FYI.
1: (laughs) I wasn't even going to go there, but... Yeah. Uh, no, right. but you
0: yeah. did on Twitter, I mean... You, you. But tonight I was going to be nice. All right, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. Please don't. Yeah. Wouldn't you rather be tired and winning?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: No, but talk about the role of lawyers, because I think that's what I'm, I'm talking about, where the roles are, because again, the New York Times today had a wonderf- another story off of Ronan Farrow's story about the complicity of lawyers of PR people, of the media, everybody in this. So I'd like to get to that idea of how you create systems where especially lawyers, to me, are the watchdogs of that. Yeah,
1: I think lawyers, you know, given the the training that we have, the place that we are supposed to occupy in these entities, um, that we are the ones who should be responsible for, I think, more than maybe any other body of people the development of appropriate cultures. Right. Um, we are trained in the law. We're supposed to know um, the way in which things are to be done. We know how what the rules are supposed to be like. We should be, um, again, within the, the appropriate context, we should be the enforcers. And to the extent that we detect issues and problems, it is our responsibility not only as um, members of the corporation, but as lawyers, as Mm -hmm. lawyers to bring to the attention of the appropriate people um, problems, issues, not only with regard to specific people and specific incidents, but also with regard to cultures. Mm -hmm. To the extent that we identify cultural issues that uh, are having a negative impact on the entities that we are a part of, we have the responsibility of surfacing surfacing those things. But it is also the responsibility of management to listen to those lawyers, and it shouldn't be difficult for lawyers to bring to the attention of management those concerns. You shouldn't be penalized. You shouldn't be seen as a problem if you are raising those mm-hmm. uh, raising those
0: issues. Who do you think your constituency is, uh, Tony? Oh, throughout your career, not just at Uber, but who do you imagine it is? Oh, is the, it the law, or the or or is it the people you work for?
2: Uh, I think it's both. Actually, yeah. I think it's both. I think I think because the law you know, at its best is sort of, the you know, is manifested in the way people interact with one another. And so it's clearly, it's both. And so, um, I mean, you you asked the question, you know, why did I take this job? Actually, the opportunity to do just that, when to be able to to have the impact of helping to put in place uh, processes and systems that actually work well to protect both people whether it's uh, women or uh, or people of color or or frankly riders and, and drivers, um, that was an incredible uh, opportunity to me. Um, so that's really my constituents. But but you know the constituency group that you're also speaking to, I think Eric rightly says, is management, and you had a broken you had a broken system mm-hmm. at. At, Often, in case it's
0: not just there, but a lot of places. No, a
2: lot of places, but it was particularly broken. I, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, in all fairness, I mean, look, um, you know, uh, I, I, I would not have taken this job, and I would not have taken this challenge if I did not believe that <laughs> a Dara Kasra Shahi was committed to real change, um, and b that it was actually possible because so many of the issues that Uber suffers from are self-inflicted.
0: Today's show is sponsored by GoCD, an open-source continuous delivery server built by ThoughtWorks. With GoCD, your team can release software more frequently, consistently, and reliably. Enjoy advanced traceability by visualizing your complex workflows from end to end. GoCD is open-source and free to use. Professional support and enterprise add-ons are available from ThoughtWorks. For out-of-the-box continuous delivery, visit gocd.org recode. If you're enjoying this interview, then you should check out one of our other podcasts, Recode Media, with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week?
1: Kara, you'll never... Actually, you will guess who we talked to. Who? It's you, Kara Swisher. That
0: must have been fascinating.
1: We learned about your net worth. Yeah. Your stroke. Yeah. Sex life.
0: No, No, you did not. Did
1: not discuss that. Do not. That is Other interesting things, though. Yeah.
0: Although, that's interesting, too. Let's
1: have the sex life podcast next year. No,
0: no, no, and no.
1: All right, well, I got a year to work on it. You were great. Thanks for coming. And you can hear more of this delightful banter for minutes upon minutes for Thank free. You, Peter. Over at Recode Media. See ya.
0: You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. One of the things that always struck me, and especially, again, this, I recommend reading another New York Times piece called, it's about complicity. One of the things that, that strikes me as lawyers, one of, that I've noticed is they always say, for example, in Hollywood, they don't have money, enough money to they don't seem to have money to pay women to tell stories. They have money to shut them up. Um, they certainly can pay them off. They can do non-disclosure agreements. They can do very difficult ways to, not to talk about things. Talk about the non-disclosure thing, because that to me has been one of the, uh, the poisons of this whole system: is that women are paid not to say anything. Um, I think I was the one who told Uber about someone you hired that had a sexual, not when you were there, but I actually called Travis and say this person was under investigation for sexual harassment. And, was, and he was like, what? Like he didn't know because he had they'd been passed on like a contagion. From one company to the other. Um, so can you talk about that issue around non-disclosure? Again, I, I'd like that report as soon as possible um, but, but, I, but why is there what, why does that persist that idea of non-disclosure? and, and as women know, telling stories is really the power has been the power of me too. as people of color know, the telling of the stories um, as gay people know, the telling of the stories is where the power resides. And so why as lawyers do you continually keep writing these? Yeah things like <laughs> yeah, what explain it explain it how does that change how does that how does the law change so that people are allowed to tell their stories without this sort of complicity where people get to move along and pay people off essentially
1: well for the record I've never written a non-disclosure agreement in my career okay, okay, um, you know um, <laughs> and it's particularly ba- actually
0: just David Boy's, but go ahead
1: sorry. <laughs> And it's particularly bad in, in government, you mm-hmm. know, as I see yeah, now. Yeah, with the
0: Congress right now. Right. You yeah. see,
1: the, the, I didn't even know that this thing existed until the last couple of weeks, that there's a fund that allows congressmen, right. some of That's whom crazy. were my biggest tormentors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Blake Fahrenheit, um, you know, that fat guy from, from Texas is,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> you know, got about $80,000 to... Uh, you know, keep quiet, um, right. some inappropriate conduct that he had with a, a, a female eighty
0: thousand tax dollars
1: 80,000 $80, dollars you know of our money um, and from from my perspective, I don 't particularly like the notion of you know hiding things like that. I mean, real progress is made by the exposure of negative conduct and then what happens to address that that, that conduct right. now, having said that. Um, You know, there may be victims who, for a variety of reasons, do not want to have exposed um, the issues that are the subject of the non-disclosure agreement. Although more often than not, my suspicion is Mm -hmm. it is the person with power who is saying, I will only settle this if there is a um, a, non-disclosure agreement. Um, From my perspective, you know, shining light on problems is the way you solve problems um but it you know requires a certain degree of um bravery for you know victims to come forward and tell their stories and that's a societal problem you know it it is it's always interesting to me that it's difficult for a woman to talk about a sexual assault in the way that um a guy who is assaulted by a stranger in a bar, something like that—that's a, a relatively easy story to tell. So why is why do we, as a society, make it more difficult for women to tell their stories? Um, you know, there is there misogyny,
0: is, but go ahead. You know, yeah,
1: yeah, no, 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 no. There's a huge amount of that, and there's a culture thing that we have to change there. Mm-hmm. You know, it is—it uh, it, it always struck me that when I was a judge. Um, that, and and when I was a U.S. attorney in in Washington, D.C., if a a man hit a man, no question, you you try that case, that's an assault, right? A man hits a woman with whom he has a relationship and then there's all kinds of things. Well, you know, protect we have allegedly. To, it becomes much more a much more difficult thing um, to adjudicate to bring into and to bring into the system, and that's a societal thing that we have to um, that we have to get at where women are the victims. I mean, they should be not differentiated because of their gender. Um, you're just a victim. You're just a victim, and we need to hear your stories. Yeah.
0: What about you and the non-disclosure thing? And now I'm going to talk about allies, because I, about non-disclosure. Where does that go? Because I think, to me, that is the absolute tool of tyranny among people. As much as they think, I'm helping you by not letting you talk about your story, you're not doing anyone any favors by not allowing them to do that.
2: Well, I think that's right. But I, th- I think that you do have to, in all of these kinds of cases, uh, approach it from the perspective of the victim. I think that has to drive the analysis. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, 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 and that is, uh, and where that, where that flows, mm-hmm. I think, um, I don't think you, I've always believed that sunshine is the best disinfectant. And I, you know, have never, you never see progress in the law. Um, you never see progress in society when you're using the law as uh, something to cover up, a blanket to cover up uh, certain things. It's always much better if you, this is why we have open courts. This is why we have public courts. This is why it's important. Um, yet, I still think at the, at the end of the day, you, you want to make sure, um, you know, in the do no harm uh, kind of approach that you're approaching those kinds of issues from the perspective of the victim.
0: All right, I want to finish up But one thing I think we I have to agree. really,
1: I agree with what Tony said, but we, as a, am kind of getting back to what I said before, we've also got to get to the place where there can't be shame. There can't be an issue yeah. in being yeah. a victim. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. why is it so hard? And it is hard, you know, and, and women who do it have a great deal of courage in the society as we have constructed it.
0: But why is that the case? Why is that the case, you know? I actually don't, I don't think a lot of victims are as ashamed. I think they are bullied into being ashamed. Yeah. I think, you know what yeah. I mean, I think that's really... And, and because when you do, when you say, I'm going to make it easier for you, it, you know, and I think the media has kind of had it and is starting to publish these stories as long as they can get contemporaneous uh, assertions that these people said. I mean, the Roy Moore thing is a perfect example of that, is that these women said their stories, they, they, they didn't wait, they had some off the record, some on the record, and now the women who are called liars by him are now coming out with even more like, we've had enough, despite the fact that they've been bullied uh, content, and threatened and everything else. So it's an interesting thing. Let's finish up talking about allies when we've got just a few more minutes. Um, one of the things I've also noted that I think is really interesting is most of the stories that have come out just recently around uh, sexual harassment and everything else have been written by women. All the best stories on racism and issues have been written by people of color. Um, most, uh, Ronan Farrow, a gay man, um, who understand and empathize and are, have had enough of this and understand that. How do, you, how do you think of yourself as allies? Because I think that is a critical, it's a critical issue um, in that it's not uh, women's rights, it's human rights. It's not, it's everybody's rights. How mm-hmm. do you get that empathy into the dominant culture, which is a white male culture. Now they talk about the idea of using VR, for example, that a policeman could watch a thing and know how what it's like to be a young black man. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think you can do that because it's a lifetime of fear. Um, so different. And, you know, I don't different. know how you do that without putting in a, a, a chip, a fear chip, into someone's brain. Yeah. Um, but how do you how do you think about that? As because you know, you're both prominent men uh, of color. How do you then get? use your power that you have as men, for example?
2: I mean, there's a real way you have to be intentional. You have to be very intentional and very cognizant. But I will say, you know, one of the things that this whole experience has, uh, as we've seen it unfold over the last um, several months, um, has really brought home to me. And, you know, and I am, uh, look, I'm someone who has uh, really spent my entire life uh, very committed to these issues, being intentional about how I recruit and who I hire, and making sure that um, uh, women are at the at the table. And you know, raised by a phenomenal woman, my mom, who's in the audience, Peggy West. Some, you know, grew up with strong women. Um, you know, grew up with strong women, and you know, worked and really cared about these issues. Um, I have to say, it was. Both disturbing and enlightening, to come to the realization that I did not fully appreciate just how pervasive sexual harassment mm-hmm. and sexual assault is. Yeah, I mean, and and, and 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 I think therein, and so you turn that into what that means is that for so many, for so many of us, you know, we're kind of like it's like air. You know, this is the norm. Um, And what was so shocking is, or so disturbing, is that for so many women, this is the norm, but there's nothing normal about it. There's nothing normal about that. And so then the question is, okay, then what do you do um, with that, with that realization? And for me, it begins with really listening, Um, not just hearing the stories. I do think one of the things I do fear um, is that when we, you know, hear the stories, and we hear so many, and you start hearing the numbers, that people become numb to that. Um, that does concern me, Um, but really hearing and internalizing the universality of it so that that becomes an opportunity to notice, to notice patterns, to notice how our language, how our behavior, how the systems and structures and paradigms in which we operate actually reinforce these power differences which lead to, to sexual assault and sexual violence. And then it's incumbent upon those of us who can to act. Right. Whether you're in a position where you can act on policy, or you can act um, in the C-suite, or you can act um, in any way that you can,
0: it, it is remarkable. So many, of everyone in Silicon Valley, and just the Silicon Valley ones, every woman has a story, mm-hmm. or six, or mm-hmm. ten, mm-hmm. from microaggressions to something more serious, and every good man was shocked. It was, mm-hmm. I can't believe that, Kara. Mm-hmm. And I think it's either women weren't talking about it or they weren't listening or nobody was asking and it's a really interesting thing. Eric, I'm going to finish with you on this idea, bring it to a national level. Um, it, it feels hopeless on lots of levels with Roy Moore. You've got Trump in the Oval Office, a long list of issues around sexual harassment. How do you look at it? Are you, are you hopeless right now? Or how, do you, how, do, how does that change when it seems like, oh, good God, they're going to they're elect that? <laughs> horrible (laughs) monster in Alabama. Mm We've got the president here on these issues. How do you look at where it's going?
1: Well, first off, my my wife is from Alabama and she used to say that in Alabama they they always said, thank God for Mississippi. You know? (laughs) I fear that if he's elected, people in Mississippi will be saying, thank God for Alabama. Um, You know, that's how how bad it could be. Um, You know, it's, um, I think we have here a potential a potential inflection point um, that we've got to hold on to and we have got to um, make it work for all the positive things that I think it can potentially give to us. Um, But we should not be too optimistic. Just because it's there doesn't mean that it's going to lead to something that's lasting and that's positive. Um, There is, I think, the need for action. But I also think that we cannot underestimate you all Cannot underestimate the power that you have. And if you don't think that you have power, mm-hmm. you think about the, the, the power. Trump got inaugurated, and that was, you know, well, drank. I was drunk. Um, <laughs> but you think about the power of that march the next day. Right. Yeah. The next day. All those women, my wife and the, my two kids had the hats with the, you know, things on. Um, the power. Did you that, have the hat? I, I we, the hats are there. I've, mm-hmm. There's pictures of me in, in the hat. You'll, you'll never see those. Okay. Um, but the, the power that
0: signal. was signal, huh? Signal. So, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> the, the power that was exhibited that day, um, and the power that has also been seen as women um, have, you know, gone to congressional offices, senators' offices, congressmen's offices, as they were in the process of trying to, you know, take Obamacare apart. We have, you have power, and that power has to be used. I'm old enough to remember that the people, united, focused, energized, stopped a war. You know? Nixon didn't stop the Vietnam War because he thought the military objectives had been met. That war was stopped because people were focused and said, we're not going to have it. There, There was the loss of public support. This inflection point that we have has to be something that galvanizes people, and in particular, women, in particular, women. We have, in Virginia, boy, we saw women power there, where in that election three, four weeks or so ago, um, women ran who you know, said, you know, I'm, I'm sick of what's going on, I'm gonna run for office, and women won. And I think women can lead us to um, a better place with the power that they have, with the power that you have, but you've got to use that power. It's not enough to yell and scream at the television, you know, to, you know watching MSNBC, Fox, <laughs> CNN, whatever. You can't, you know, read the newspapers. And you, What is it that you're doing? What are you doing right, to make on, this better? All right, on that note,
0: just to end I know we're over time, I want a promise from each of you is something you're going to do. What are you going to do at Uber? Oh. And you're going I to hold you to I, have
2: a, I have a whole long list, but... All right, but um, what's
0: the one thing you're going to do?
2: Well, the as one thing as a male
0: it, ally of the woman, um, the women.
2: The one thing that, one of many things that I'm going to do is uh, set an unambiguous tone at the top of intentionality in bringing women in every single significant decision yeah. that we make at that company. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great.
0: One... One good thing that you have going for you is that it's an extraordinarily low bar, and we'll talk about that later. Um, What about you, Eric? And then we'll finish. Uh, And I want a bigger thing from you.
1: Well, as the chair of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, I'm going to... Yeah. I'm going to make sure that in 2021, we have fair redistricting... We're going to have a fair census in 2020 and fair redistricting in 2021. And we're going to throw out of office... These um, these idiots um, who have passed these laws, who have perpetuated these systems um, that are anti-women, um, anti-people uh, of color. Um, and I think that we can do this. We saw it in Virginia in 2017. We're going to do great in the midterms in 2018, and we're going to put a new president in 2020. That's more than one thing, but I'm going to be successful at the NDRC. All right, That's and we should thing.
0: all make promises like this. I, I'm, going to prom, I, I'm going to announce my new formation of the militia Etheridge in the Castro. Get it? You can all join. Um, But we should all make promises. And I really appreciate, I'm sorry to give you a hard time, but not really, sorry, not sorry kind of thing. Um, And we really appreciate you as allies, but as human beings, not just as male allies, but as human beings.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks again to Eric Holder and Tony West for joining me on stage and to the Phenomenal Woman Action Campaign for hosting us. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. We also have several other podcasts you should check out. Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media. Lauren Good and I host Too Embarrassed to Ask. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.